All right, let's pray. Father, we ask that um, you'd give us wisdom today, that as we look at your word, you would give us eyes to see, minds to comprehend, hearts with fertile soil, feet that want to run with obedience. Father, I pray that we would walk out of here transformed and renewed. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, many of you guys are aware we've just been going through the book of John. This will be our second week in John chapter 9. We've been in John for several weeks. So, um, yeah, last week we began with the story, really verses uh, 1 through 3. We began with the story where Jesus identifies a blind man. And there was a question about, you know, really two questions. Um, was it sin that caused this man to be blind? Or was it, um, yeah, was it sin? Or did God have a plan? So what we ended up wrestling through, which I encourage you guys, if you didn't listen to last week's message, to go back and listen to last week's message on the website. What I tried to address is why does a good God allow bad things to happen to people? So I gave 10 reasons last week of why God would allow, uh, a good God would allow bad things to happen. Because, um, you know, much of what we see within the world today is God wouldn't allow someone to be born blind, or God wouldn't allow someone to be born sick, or God doesn't like sickness. Of course, he doesn't like sickness, or God wouldn't allow sickness, is better stated. But what we learned last week is that actually um, God allowed this man to be blind so that God's power could be displayed in him. So we use that as the avenue to talk about the 10 reasons of why God allows hard things to happen in our life. And many of which then I'm able to take and coach myself up, right? Encourage myself in the Lord like David did. Do you guys ever do that? Encourage yourself in the Lord? You need to, right? So uh, I've been using those the past several weeks to encourage myself in the Lord when I face hard times. So please go back and listen to that. So uh, we're just going to start with verse 1 again, and then we're going to continue on. So uh, John chapter 9, verse 1. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So as I said, we, we wrestled last week um, that sometimes God allows trials, hard times, and perceived bad things in our life to bring him glory. So this man was blind from birth so that the works of God might be displayed in him. In this instance, it wasn't because of the sin in his parents' life or his life. It was because God allowed him to be blind, resulting in the tough reality that God allows hard things to happen in our life. 
God allows hard things to happen in our life. Yet, how great is our God. Amen? Amen? Verse 4. As long as it is day, and this is new for us now, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So what we see here is that, that there's an urgency that Jesus is talking about right here. Yet verses 4 and 5, you know, on top of how urgent we should become, they're critical for us to understand the miracle that is about to happen. And easily, you know, we can pass over this. But the healing of the blind man is not just a miracle, but it is to be seen as a sign, the work of God, uh, facilitated through the sent one to shine light on those who are in darkness. So this miracle is shining light on those who are in darkness. So John is letting us know that the Messiah prophesied about is actually here, and that Messiah is Jesus. Jesus is here amongst the people. The Messiah, the one prophesied about, who will open up blind eyes, who will heal people, who will deliver them from evil, who will die on the cross and raise from the grave, is here. That's what John is pointing to. Now, the coming, uh, now Jesus' coming brought down a light, right? He is the light unto the world. But it also brought down a night on people who refused to see the light, many of which were Jewish leaders. So many of the Jewish leaders that we're going to hear about, the Pharisees, and been hearing about for weeks, they, um, they're so stuck in their ways that they miss the point that's right in front of them. And I hope that as we've been going through the book of John, that you're beginning to see the hatred that the Pharisees have towards him, the frustration. That it, of course, it was prophesied that Jesus is going to die on the cross for our sins. So we know, and we, we knew that it was going to happen. But on a practical level, why did the people have so much hatred towards Jesus? Those are the things we're going to learn about for those or over the next um, couple weeks is the Pharisees and some of the Jewish leaders, because they were in the darkness, they hated Jesus. So Jesus continues to reveal his point by giving light to the blind man, that he is the light unto the world. Verse 6, and we're going to slow down here in a minute, but um, verse 6. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on a man's eye, or sorry, on the man's eye. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. Uh, this word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Amen? Jesus healed someone. Do you guys believe that? 
Do you guys believe that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever? I do. Jesus still heals people today. Now, I believe that Jesus is in the business of healing, healing people from their sentence to hell first. I think he's more concerned with living with them for eternity more than he is just their physical being. Either way, this is really unique to me. Jesus spits in the dirt and then puts it on a dude's eye. Um, I have some dirt up here, and I want to volunteer. I'm going to spit in it. It's going to take a lot of spit. <laughs> Macy, gets, Macy gets those all the time. She exfoliates. I mean, that's why her skin is so great. But it's offensive. Because, the, yeah, the blind man didn't see it. <laughs> he just thought it was holy water. <laughs> offensive, though, right? Because it says made some mud. So I don't know about you guys, but if I spit once, I ain't making no mud. It's going to take a lot of saliva start germinate, germinating some of those mud pies. See, Jesus takes the mud, and, and there's many things that, um, there's, I guess, many, re yeah, ideas that theologians suggest of why Jesus spit and why there was dirt. Um, at this point, I didn't like enough to preach any of them. Um, you know, to thus saith the Lord. But, um, you know, you can go research it if you want. But here's, here's the fact. It's disgusting. It just, who wants spit on their face with mud? To the most disgusting things that are kind of naturally made, Jesus uses to bring healing to a man. Um, I don't know about you, but I've n never received any miracle while playing in the mud as a kid. Um, we made mud pies, you made mud balls. I never received a miracle that way. And that was made with water and mud. And if you're my brother, um, it was poop and water in a sink in the bathroom when he was like five. That was disgusting. It was horrible. He didn't receive a miracle either. So don't try that one. Nor did my parents seem to think that mud and spit had any cleansing power either. See, the power wasn't in the mud, and the power also wasn't in the spit. I think the power was in obeying God and believing his word. Amen? See, the power was in obeying Jesus. Imagine if the blind man would have um, thought that Jesus had asked him to, what he thought him to do was ludicrous. You're telling me what? I know I can't see you, don't know what you look like, but you're telling me you just spit in some dirt, rolled it up, put it on my eyes, and now you're telling a blind man to go walk to a pool. 
It doesn't say Jesus led him to the pool. So you're telling me now to walk to the pool, and then I'll see. Yeah, right, man, you're crazy. That's for the birds. I've been sitting here for years waiting to get healed, and now you're telling me to put spit and mud on my eyes and then find my way to a pool, and I'll be healed. I would have said, probably no. And it just made me think, how many things has God asked us to do today that seem so ludicrous that we miss him on? What's weirder? Offering a family at Walmart a vacuum that you have at your house or putting spit in spit and dirt together to make mud and put it on your eyes. Spit and mud is weirder, I think. And some of you guys don't know the story. Real quick story, Macy and I are at Walmart several years ago, and there was a Hispanic family as we were walking past the vacuum aisle looking at vacuums, and my heart stopped, and my stomach welled up, and God said, you need to give them your vacuum. Just this thought came to my mind, you need to give them your vacuum. And I'm like, oh, that's weird. Like, that's weird. So then Macy's doing her thing, and I said, I'll be back, and I go to the next aisle. And I know a lot of you guys know the stories, but I see new faces. So while we're there, um, I said, Macy, I'm going to go to the other aisle. So I go stand next to this Hispanic family with my hands like this, acting like I'm shopping for vacuums. Oh, the Bissell 500, yeah, uh-huh. Oh, the shark, uh-huh. And I see the vacuum that they're looking at, and it looks just like the one we have at home, that is just like an extra one that sits in a closet that we just don't use. And with, Now, here's what I've also learned. You don't go start offering people your wife's vacuums either. <laughs> if you're getting married, write that down. You better believe that. <laughs> so I'm sitting there just trying to cultivate and courage, stir myself up. And um, when I was a junior in high school, I won the Spanish Olympics. That was all the uh, high schools in the area. And it was in the conversation piece. So I'm trying to remember any conversation pieces, any words. Hola is about it. So don't remember anything. If you don't use it, you lose it. So I go up to them, and um, I said, hey, my name's Joey, and all they're speaking is Spanish. Oh, no. So now I'm trying to use my hands and my whole being to help them understand. I have this vacuum at my house. You don't have to buy it. I'll give it to you for free. It's yours. Nothing. And then Macy finally walks over. I have this vacuum. I'll give it to you for free. Don't have to pay for it. And then just a little bit of English. Um, okay. They say, okay. And I said, where do you live? And they start telling me something. And then Macy heard New Carlisle. And then um, I said, well, there's a Speedway there. Meet you at Speedway tomorrow at 6 p.m. Tomorrow, Speedway, 6 p.m. They said, okay. 
So um, were you with me or not with me? So we go deliver it, and um, this woman picks up. Um, she has her kids with her, and I think all of her friends posted out all the corners to make sure I wasn't someone crazy. <laughs> I'd do the same. If I sell something on the marketplace, you better know that I'm letting all my neighbors know, right? Make sure that this weird guy doesn't take me. <laughs> You're a grown man. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> so, um, so she receives the uh, vacuum, and um, you know, Macy and I were able to pr not pray with her face to face, but we were able to pray for her and uh, give the vacuum away. God wanted us to do that. Now, I don't know exactly why. There wasn't like, she didn't get healed, she didn't come to Jesus in that moment. But sometimes when God asks us to obey him, we just have to obey him. Amen? So, a lot of the things that God asks us to do from our lens can be offensive. And what I'm telling you is from my perspective, I believe that it would be offensive if someone came up and said, I have spit and dirt that's going to heal your acne, acne and I'm going to put it all over your face. And then because you're blind, you need to walk somewhere. The power wasn't in the mud. It wasn't in the spit. The power was in the faith and belief in Jesus Christ would do what he said he was going to do through the obedience. So, um, honestly, for those who don't, uh, didn't know Jesus, this would make him seem senile, patronizing, or offensive, right? What? You spit on the ground and rubbed it on the dude's eyes? It's almost making mockery of a blind man. Now, as a blind man, I have to go wash this dirt off my face, and I can't even see it? Either way, obedience can be offensive. That's your point to write down. God doesn't always tell us to do things that make sense to us. It's just our job to be obedient. That's it. And if God's going to tell someone to go wash the spit and dirt off his face, he's certainly going to tell you to do some strange things in your walk as well. Maybe it's pay for the person in front of you. Maybe it's share your faith with someone. Maybe it's share your testimony with another person. It can just be strange sometimes. I can't make this clear enough. Obedience can be offensive. Most people are not experiencing Jesus because they are comfortable in the dark places of life when he's asking them to go to the light. See, Imagine if this blind man would have been comfortable where he was sitting. He had all the reasons to be comfortable. Why do I want to try to find my way to the pool? I'm just going to stay here. I've been praying and asking for healing my whole life, and it hasn't happened yet. Why is dirt and water, dirt and spit going to make it happen? He could have been comfortable. Comfortable. 
See, but as I've said before, I believe that movement creates change within our life. Um, and we have to move from the comfortable places to receive the light. What I mean is, when he asks us to obey, we obey. But what often happens is we feel entitled to remain where we are. We've all felt entitled and bigger than what God's put on our hearts before. And you're like, not me. Bet. Watch. I mean, God has called some of you guys during worship to raise your hands. He's been calling some of you guys for years. Just put your hands up and worship. Now look, there's, not, there's no power that strikes you when you raise your hands and worship. You, me raising my hands, or you raising your hands, there's no power in it. The power comes when God says, hey, raise your hands and worship, and you say, yes, master. I will obey you. See, but some of us have felt so comfortable, and we've said, God's going to move in my seat. God's so big that he doesn't need me to raise my hands. So guess what? We don't raise our hands, and we walk out holier than thou, feeling entitled, and we never leveled up. How about this? Maybe you're a, you just love raising your hands. You just do it all the time. Love it. That's the way that you worship. And God's like, I want you to respond at the altar. Like, oh, no, I ain't going to do that. I raise my hands. I'm good. I'm good. Obedience. It's not, there's, there, there is nothing holy about this area. There's no force field. There's no anything up here. The power is not in this, what we have man-made called the altar. The power is in the humility and the obedience of their response. The yes to God that's where the power is, in the yes. But we've been so comfortable and embarrassed and fearful that we haven't been saying yes to God enough. America has quit saying yes to God. Now look, you can look to, you can look to liberal areas or anti-biblical areas and point the finger at them. But as long as you're pointing the finger at them, you're not going to get the point. Until the finger goes to, I've quit saying yes to God, then we're missing the point. I've quit saying yes to God. I need to say yes to God more. I need to walk in unity with God more. God needs to be the priority of everything in my life. God needs to be involved in every decision that I make in my life. So he's called us to raise our hands. He's called us to respond at the altar. He's called us during worship to shout and scream of his goodness. He's even put it on some people's hearts in here to dance 
to run through the aisles, all in an orderly fashion, right? I'm serious, orderly. We're not, we're not looking for just a zoo in here. But God's asked us to do it. Now look, does it happen every week here? No. But if God's putting it on your heart, should you be judged? Not at all. Within the bounds of what God has asked us to do. See, because... God, why would you call me to stand up in a church and shout when it's going to embarrass me and my kids? Because all he wants is your yes. All he wants is for you to trust him. The power is in the yes. But most of the time, out of fear of man, we convince ourselves that God will move in our seat. That raising our hands is powerless. That shouting will embarrass us. That running through the aisles is ludicrous. That responding at the altar will only humiliate me. We convince ourselves that we don't need to humble ourselves and respond to what God has asked us to do in our life. See, in this scripture, Jesus put spit and dirt on a dude's face, then says, go wash your face. And guess what? The man obeys. You could even take it a next step further and say, why'd you even, Jesus, if you were just gonna, if you were just gonna heal me, why'd you even have to put the dirt and uh, the spit on my face? Why'd you have to do that? See, the same thing that you say, going back to John, right? Um, what was it? John 4 or 5, sorry. Um, where Jesus feeds the thousands. The boy comes up and he offers his loaves and fish, right? Why did Jesus require the loaves and the fish? Did he need them? Jesus didn't need the loaves or the fish to do the miracle. But why did Jesus require the loaves and the fish? Because he wanted obedience. He wanted surrender. Jesus didn't require spit or Jesus didn't require dirt. Jesus wanted trust and obedience. He wanted surrender. That's what he wants from you and I today. God asks you to follow him in obedience no matter the price. So if you feel like you need to raise your hands in worship, by golly, raise your hands. If the pastor gives an altar call and your heart starts beating fast and your stomach sinks, by golly, respond at the altar. If God tells you, which scripture makes it clear, but if God says you need to start tithing this week, trust him and start tithing. Amen? I believe the blind man doesn't get healed if he comes up with an excuse why he couldn't go to the pool. Obedience is the conduit of God's power. Someone needs to write that down. Now, don't hear prosperity gospel. Don't hear works gospel. Just hear that God still requires a yes from you and I. 
And obedience is a conduit to leveling up and getting to know more of who he is, getting to walk closer with him. So the man gets healed, and that causes many responses of unbelief within those who are around. As I've said many times before, um, Macy and I have seen many healings, uh, physical healings, uh, spiritual healings, like we've seen things right in front of our face. We've even been a part of meetings where blind eyes have come open. And it's awesome. But many of us have lived under the lie that if we see a miracle, that our life will change forever. And that's not the case. Uh, not, not in our case and not even in Scripture's case. Not every time that a miracle happened um, did everyone, um, everyone's life change. And what we see is actually unbelief within the Pharisees and with many people around. So, um, yeah, we're going to see a couple of those responses as we go through the Scripture. So if you want to write down another point for the next scripture is an unbelieving heart is blind to what God is doing. An unbelieving heart is blind to what God is doing. Verse 8. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him, formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened? They asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it in my eyes. He told me to go to Salome and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see where is this man, they asked. I don't know, he said. So the neighbors, the people around him, the people who were familiar with him, guess what? They kind of knew about his blindness, didn't they? They knew he was blind. They knew he was a beggar. Yet, he gets healed, and they immediately become doubters. Isn't that interesting? The neighbors, partly because there was so much on the line for them, but they immediately became doubters of, of this healing. They knew that he was blind and that he was a beggar. Unbelievers tend to be more argumentative even when God moves right in front of them. So they were blind, and because they were blind, and they were blind to see Jesus right in front of them, they were more argumentative. Yet I don't think that their unbelief was revealed through their questioning. It was revealed through their knowledge of the situation as a neighbor and they still don't believe that this was the same guy. So a person they might have walked past for years, and they saw him begging and asking for money, gets healed, and they still have questions. See, they didn't, 
They didn't know how to deal with it, right? They didn't know how to deal with the healing. There was already unbelief in their heart, so they didn't want to say, yes, this is God. So what did they do? They say, let's move on to the Pharisees for more questions. So the next thing that happens with an attitude of unbelief is unbelief causes us to look to man-made rules. Verse 13, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened up the man's eyes was a Sabbath. So this isn't the same day, right? They're saying the day that Jesus healed was on the Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. So they were divided. Uh, yeah, so they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he's a prophet. The Pharisees know and the Pharisees understand their scripture. They get it. They're very well versed in the understanding of the word. And what's unique to me is knowing the Old Testament scriptures, they, they should be reminded of Isaiah where he tells us and, and prophesies of a savior to come, of one who will open up eyes, of one who will heal and one who will deliver. Why is it that they were so well-versed in Scripture and understood that, that there was a Messiah to come, yet when the Messiah is right in front of them, they missed it? Well, it's because they had so many man-made rules that they put before God. See, um, they thought, based upon their interpretation of scripture, of scripture in the Sabbath, in the oral laws, that Jesus could no way be a man of God because he was breaking the Sabbath. So um, how was he breaking the Sabbath? Well, they're saying he's breaking the Sabbath because he healed a dude on the Sabbath, right? So that's what they're frustrated with. You can't work on the Sabbath. So since you worked on the Sabbath... There's no way that, um, that you're from God because you're a sinner. Yet, Jesus wasn't breaking the Sabbath. You want to know why? Matthew 12, 8 tells us this, For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus is above the Sabbath. Yet the Pharisees, out of their own written law, believed that Jesus was not keeping the Sabbath. Now, you say that they were mad at him or frustrated with him or called him a sinner because he healed on the Sabbath. Actually, when you do a little bit more work, a little bit deeper study, many theologians have suggested that they weren't mad at him for healing on the Sabbath. They were mad at him because he worked on the Sabbath. And the work was spitting and stirring up mud. That's kind of petty, isn't it? that we can have so many man-made laws that they were considering that 
the spit and the stirring of mud was breaking the law. Now, they certainly didn't like the healing either. But if we looked at that many man-made laws and traditions, we're missing the whole idea of who Jesus is. If God moved through Jesus, um, even though he broke the Sabbath, what does that mean for them to earn their righteousness through their laws? That was their frustration. The Pharisees are mad at Jesus for healing because it challenged their man-made, comfortable lifestyle. How many of us get mad at church leadership or friends or family members when they challenge our comfortable lifestyles? I mean, I remember going through the book of James and people being really frustrated with, so you're, so you're telling me that we're, we're all called to be an evangelist. So you're telling me I have to be an evangelist. Well, I understand that there's the gift of the evangelist and there's the gift of teachers and administration. I understand there's those giftings. So no, I'm not saying all of you are gifted evangelists, but what I am saying through the book of James is that we're all called in season and out of season to give a reason for our faith. We're all called to do good works unto God. We're all called to make disciples and to go into the nations. And the furthest that I'd go into the nations might only be the Miami Valley. I might not ever make it to India or Africa or um, anywhere else, but I am to go. Amen? So um, our lifestyle has to be challenged, and right now the Pharisees are frustrated because this Jesus is changing the way that they're doing life. So that we, we, we begin to learn why the Pharisees want to take Jesus out because they can no longer earn their way through their man-made rules to God. So they ask the question, how can a sinner perform such signs? They're trying to prove, using Scripture to prove that Jesus is not who he says he is, that Jesus is not the Messiah. So they try to prove it. How can a sinner perform, perform such signs? Because they knew Scripture well, right? Psalms 34, 15. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are inclined to their cry. Proverbs 15, 29. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he bears the prayers of the righteous. So what they're saying is, this man cannot be from God because he's a sinner. And show me a man that is not a sinner other than Jesus. We can't. So they were divided. They're saying, yeah, um, they, asked, they asked the man who was healed. Who do you think he is? You know, so they have more questions because in their rationale, in their training, in their man-made rules, they say, a sinner certainly is not going to be used by God as they're walking around higher than, higher than thou saying, well, we can only be used by God. 
because we're sons of Moses. So, so because they can't figure it out, or in their rationale, they say, well, he's a sinner, can't be used by God. They keep on investigating because, because they're um, still searching out the answer, and they're divided. So what do they do? They ask the man, who do you think he is then? Like, what is he to you? And he says, he's a prophet. So what does that mean? He's a prophet? What, they're, what, what, what the blind man, now seeing man, is essentially saying is, he's from God. This man is from, from heaven. There is something different about him. So guess what? They didn't like their answers. So they didn't like their, they, they couldn't necessarily pinpoint them necessarily on the Sabbath. Now they can't pinpoint them from the man's own testimony. And here's what we learn a lot when you watch the news or you talk to unbelievers today, scientists, physiologists, whatever. An unbelieving heart searches everywhere to prove their thoughts. We deal with that today, don't we? We see a world that searches everywhere to prove their thought. So they didn't get their answers yet, so they continue. Verse 18, they still did not believe that he had been blind and have received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? And as any good parents should say, we know this is our son, the parents answered, and we know that he was born blind. Thanks, mom and dad. Like, you identify with me that way. But here's what's unique, is we're actually experiencing what's going to happen in these next scriptures right now in today's world. We don't have bald Christians anymore, or we have a few. We have Christians who want to be so political about their beliefs on abortion, on sexual sins, on um, anything, really, right? We want to be political, and we just, we, we just want to love people. Loving people means that you're going to tell them the truth no matter what. You've heard the illustration. If, if I walk pa past your house and I can see in your window um, and you guys are having dinner and your garage is on fire and I walk past it, do I love you? No, y'all are having spaghetti dinner that you just got from the 4-H um, on Tuesday night from 5 to 7. <laughs> and now you're sitting in your kitchen eating it and you don't see that your garage is on fire and I walk past you and don't say a word, do I love you? No. You better believe the first thing I would do is call 911 and then come tell you. Why is it that people's souls and spirits are heading in the direction of hell? Their house is on fire. Yet we say nothing. We're saying nothing. We're saying nothing because the church wants to politically fit in and be liked. And the church thinks that being loved means that um, 
we all walk out happy and smiling in agreement. Well, that is some um, two words. Bullcrap. That is some bullcrap. Jesus never came for us to walk out smiling and disagreeing. I am more than willing to say, if you don't believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the grave and is the only way, from, only way to heaven, that he was born of a virgin birth, that a sin is a sin, then I'm not going to walk in unity with you. Now, spiritual unity. Does that mean that I can't go sit with you at a ball game? Fine. Does that mean we can't be on the same baseball team? Fine. Does that mean that we, we can't smile and you get beaten pig? Fine. All those are fine. I can walk in unity and love. Does that mean I won't come mow your grass? Of course I will. Does that mean I won't have you over for dinner? Of course I will. But does that mean that spiritually speaking, we will be in unity? We won't be. And you will know that. In the American church, most people within the American church are too afraid to speak their voice right now. And what we're getting ready to see is two parents in their own son's life afraid to stand with what they know. Shame on them and shame on us too for not being willing to stand with Jesus because we're facing that pressure now. You get it, right? There's been times that we felt like we needed to speak up and we've been so afraid of the other side and what that other side might say to us. Just imagine if Esther never spoke up. Maybe you're the Esther. You were certainly born for a time such as this. God gave you the parameters of your life. So they identify with their son. They said, yes, this is our son. He, he was blind from birth. Verse 21. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. And that is why his parents said he is of age. Ask him. All right. What are you willing to lose for your relationship with Jesus? See, the parents rec recognized that if they said that it was Jesus, they understood the consequences. Do you understand the consequences of identifying with Jesus today? They're high but we must do it. Amen. A sin is a sin. A lie is a lie. Jesus is the only way. Now look, I know we're thinking politically right now a little bit too. Jesus is above politics. 
throughout Scripture, we see people um, believing in political figures. They even wanted to, in John, make Jesus a political figure. And Jesus is like, no, politics is not for me. All sides of the bird are messed up. Every side. Right? Period. The right or the left or the in-between or the patriots, whatever they are, they're not our Savior. Jesus is our Savior. We've done a lot of looking to political figures to be our Savior over the past 18 months. And guess what? We're still here. God still has purpose. And sometimes what God is saying, I don't want this to be about a person that brings it. I don't want this to be about a political figure. I want this to be about a church that gets on their knees and identifies with the church, identifies with Christ. See, if we wanted to see revival in our nation, maybe what we would do is we would stand up as a church instead of being quiet people in the back. Our, the churches have just been so quiet on issues. So maybe your candidate didn't win because God wants you to have a voice now. We can have a voice. And actually, we can have a greater voice. We have a greater voice. Because influence happens in groups like this. True influence doesn't come from a TV screen. Now, there is programming. I understand that. There's programming in cartoons. There's programming in news. There's programming in YouTube. There's programming of the next generations, all on social media. I understand that. But if we would rise up and tell people the truth instead of trying to be liked like these parents then we're going to see revival in this nation. Rise up, church. Identify with Jesus. And these parents are afraid of losing their pass, their entry into the synagogue. Could you imagine that? Like, my parents saying, yeah, he was blind, but now he sees. And them saying... Let him fend for himself about whether he identifies with Christ or not. There was such great spiritual tension here within the scripture and pressure. The parents were afraid of losing their spot in the synagogue that they are unwilling to stand with Jesus. We know our son was blind and now he can see but they were afraid of what they would lose. And many people suggested that losing your spot in the synagogue was actually worse than being beaten and flogged. So they had a lot to lose there. But what good is it to gain the whole world and lose your soul? Amen? So the next time you're at work or at a ball game or with your friend group or with your family and you don't identify with Jesus, just ask yourself, ask, repent, confess your sins, and turn from your sins. But then I also encourage you to um, ask yourself, what good is it to gain the whole world but lose my soul? 
So the Pharisees pushed the parents even more. Come on now. Tell us more. Like, tell us more about this healing. And the parents say, ask him. He's of age. He can speak for himself. Matthew 10, 33. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Right now, you see the parents who the parents who intimately knew their son, knew that he was blind, now understands that he can see, will not identify with Jesus. And many of you guys, me included, have known Jesus for years and known of his works. And then we get to the place of the supermarket or wherever we're at, and we won't identify with him. We passively allow people to be influential in our lives. I don't want to be disowned before my Father in heaven. Amen? So I just wanted to ask you the question. Why don't you guys close your eyes? I'm going to ask for, for a response today. And I don't know if you have any of that music bill that you can pull up. I'm going to ask for a response today. I know I've created a scenario with um, just talking about God putting things on your heart, right? I know I've created that scenario, but um, that's okay. But I do want to um, provide you an opportunity to respond to God today, however he ask you, asks you to respond. Who is your king today? Who will identify with Jesus today? Who needs ministered to today? Who needs to vent to God today? So I just want you guys to respond how, however God is placing on your heart in this quiet moment, provide you an opportunity to be obedient. Maybe he's saying, man, I just want some of you guys to stand up with your eyes closed and your arms raised. Maybe he's telling other people, just come up to the altar and sit here. Maybe he's telling other people to get off your chair and kneel, kneel in your seat area. Obedience is the conduit of God moving powerful in our life. So there's nothing special about the music. It just kind of eats up some of the dry space. There's really nothing special about this moment other than providing an opportunity to obey God. So God, I pray that right now there will be a variety of ways that you're calling us to be obedient. Father, all within Scripture, we know that that's the only thing you're going to ask us to do, all contained within your word. But may we respond to you, Father. May we say yes to you. And may you move powerfully through hands raised, Father, through the altar, through prayers, through confession, whatever it is, Father. May you move powerfully. In Jesus' name, amen.
So we're just going to take the next few moments as God lays things on our hearts. I still sense some great wrestling going on right now. There's some great wrestling going on. God's stirring up in some of you to be obedient in your wrestling. Father, I pray for your boldness right now. Again, no, um, no pay increase for hands raised or altar response, Father. But I pray for that wrestling right now, Father, that you bring growth to people's lives. May they be obedient. Identify with you, Father. 
Um, my aunt died January this year. And God put it on my heart not to just go to her funeral and talk about who she was as a person and my memories. It was an opportunity for me to speak to a hundred people about the peace that God can bring you no matter what you're going through. And with the condition of the world right now, we need to learn to love again. Because if we don't do it, who's going to do it? If not us, who? If not now, when? Right? And Joey, I love your preaching, but sometimes I feel like you, don't, you just don't give us the umph, that fire that my, my grandfather was a preacher. And he, he was full of fire, right? So we, need, we, we just need to get up and do it now. And stop waiting for somebody else, another church, other people. Why can't Mechanicsburg Christian Fellowship be the start of it? Why can't we be the start of it? And I don't care if you're Republican, Democrat, liberal, conservative, libertarian, constitutionalist, Jeffersonian, I don't care, right? We're Christians first. We're brothers and sisters in Christ first, and we love each other first. And we show that to those who aren't. And I know it can be tricky about, well, God says not to judge. It's not judging, showing love to others, showing others the way isn't judging. Like Joey said, you can be offensive, right? You're going to be called, you're going to be called everything in the book. You're offensive, you're a bigot, you're this, you're that. Comes with the territory. How many prophets, how many people in the Bible were persecuted because of their beliefs? And we're sitting here on Sundays afraid of being persecuted. So I think it's just time for us to change, time for us to stand up, stop waiting. It's got to start right here. Amen. We can start today. I just felt like um, there's some people who need some prayer today. So is there anyone um, who just really needs some prayer? If you would raise your hand, we'd like to pray with you. I won't pray with you from the pulpit, but if you're comfortable, we'll just uh, send some people around to pray, pray with you. So is there anyone in here who needs some prayer today? Are you comfortable with people praying around you? All right, let's head over here and pray. Who else needs some prayer? We got some prayer here. Let's head over here. Who else? Okay, down here. Let's get some people down here to pray. Anyone else? All right. What I'm going to do is we're going to keep the music playing. Uh, we're going to pray for some people. And um, the rest of you are dismissed. God bless you. Have a good week. Remember to sign up for community groups at the welcome desk. All right. Um, Father, bless us this week. Uh, lead us and guide us with boldness to identify with you. In Jesus' name, amen.